I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Hey ladies, I'm back. I'm actually in Saskatchewan for the very first time since August. So if you've been following along, if you've been listening to the past several episodes of the show, you will know that I am on my Health Beyond Food Tour. So I will be spending time away from home until the end of November. And just my last bit of travels took me away for a month, which was so awesome. I was in Toronto and London, Ontario, Sudbury, Ottawa, and then we actually made it out to Salt Lake City, Utah for a week. Doterra had their global convention as they do every September in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I've been actually going to that since 2016. So this was my fourth global convention that I attended and it is always just like my favorite time of year. I often say that like Christmas and my birthday are like my favorite things, but every single time I go to convention, I was like, no, no, this is way better than Christmas or my birthday. It's just a whole week packed with learning more about, well, brand new products. So we release new products every year. This year it was 13 new products being introduced. So I would really like to get into those in one of these future episodes because they will be available to everyone else on October 1st. I'm fortunate enough to already have them in my hands and I've been using them for a week now and I am just completely in love with these new products. There was a huge focus on mental and emotional health and wellness during this year's convention. So that just made my heart like grow even bigger for this company and what they're doing for our healthcare. It is incredible. And so we learn about the new products. We obviously get to experience the products and take them home with us. But then we really um, get into the science and the new research that is coming out about our essential oils and natural healthcare tools and everything that really lights me up. So it's been an incredible past three weeks. I am currently in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I will be here for the rest of the week. And if 
finally getting home on the weekend. I cannot wait to snuggle Penny. I've been missing my little girl so much. So just a lot of things have been going on, obviously, lately, but I'm really excited for today's episode. You ladies are going to love it. I absolutely love our guest, Laura Schoenfeld. She is amazing. She's a registered dietitian, but really focusing on helping women just accept and love themselves more, develop a healthy relationship with food and fitness. And she brings such a positive light into our health community and helps women in such a big way. And I know a lot of you know that I have the Nourished and Free Collective and Laura actually has a group coaching program, which she talks about in this episode called Fed and Fearless. So I feel like her and I do very similar work and I love Laura's message so much. So obviously I needed to have her on the show. So you are going to absolutely love my chat with her. She is an absolute sweetheart. So let's welcome Laura to the show. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on today. You have been one of those ladies that I've wanted on my show for a real long time. So today's the day. Oh, well, thank you, Meg. And I'm just really excited to be here and getting an opportunity to chat with you too. Well, like we were saying, we have very similar audiences in the sense that the women that we tend to connect with struggle a lot with under eating, over exercising, and they're in this health world and very focused on being so perfect, right? So I know you and I are going to have a great conversation revolving around all of those things, but why don't you introduce yourself first to everyone who's listening? So I am a registered dietitian by trade or by education, I guess we would say. And ironically, whenever somebody asks me what I do, I always get a little stuck. I'm still working on trying to figure out how to explain what I do and, and, you know, what my true calling is through the nutrition angle. Um, I've always been really interested in nutrition. I grew up in a household where, um, my mom's an RD and we were always fed quote unquote healthy food. And, and I say quote unquote, because, uh, growing up, my mom was really into the Weston price stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with that or if your listeners are, but it's a style of eating that's very focused on like farm type of food, like, you know, meats and vegetables and raw milk and that kind of thing. And so I was always exposed to a different way of thinking around nutrition, but it was different than what I think a lot of the typical like teenagers, early 20 year olds would have been exposed to. And it was an interesting combination of having that background. And then when I went to high school and then college, I had a lot of body image issues. Um, I was a little bit heavier in high school than I am now. And looking back, I don't think I was like unhealthily overweight or anything like that. Um, But at that time, I was very self-conscious about my body. Um, People that I was friends with used to make comments about like how big my butt was and that kind of thing. And when you're 16 or, you know, 
teenage years in general, you're super uh, receptive to criticism. And it made me think that I would be more acceptable if I lost weight. Um, so I, a lot of times during high school, I was like kind of bouncing between dieting and then saying, whatever, I'll eat whatever I want. And it wasn't a very healthy relationship with food, even though at home we were fed really good quality stuff. When I went to college, I was on the volleyball team for a little over a year. And um, because of how active I was, I lost about, I think like 30 pounds-ish going from high school to college. And that was probably about the leanest I've ever been. I don't think I was unhealthily lean. It was just kind of like, if you think about the circumstances to lose weight where you're playing a sport, you're eating really good quality food and you're eating to support your activity, that was how I ended up losing that weight. So I didn't have any sort of like, you know, under eating or anything like that. But the problem was that when I lost that weight and I started getting attention from um, people in college, boys, that kind of thing, that was where I started to solidify that belief that my body was something that gave me value and that having looking a certain way and having a certain body fat percentage and looking athletic, like that was something that was important and worth uh, maintaining. So sophomore year, I was cut from the volleyball team. And so I had to kind of like transition into my own training and, and food plan. And I was very much influenced by things like Women's Health Magazine and like, you know, the there wasn't as much online stuff back then because this was like 2006, I think, 2007. Um, but I was always reading magazines about health and fitness and that kind of thing. And even though I was pretty lean and, and about as small as I think I'll ever be in my entire life, I still was always trying to get smaller because I always thought that if I could just have a six pack or if I could just get a little bit leaner, then I would be more acceptable. And, you know, I just would... I would have a boyfriend, I would have, you know, better friends or whatever kind of lies that I was believing about how my body was um, affecting my social life and affecting my relationships. So fast forward to 2011 was when I started my um, graduate degree program in nutrition. So I went for my registered dietitian degree as well as a master's in public health. And about that same time was when I got exposed to the paleo world, which I, I know you're familiar with it. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with paleo. And I bought into that dogma. Like, And I say dogma, I'm not saying that there's not good information that comes from the people in that community. But at that time, it was like super hardcore, all about low carb, all about like, don't touch grains or sugar or dairy or anything. And it was very black and white because it was a new philosophy. And I, again, was like, 100% convinced that that was the best way to eat. And I really started to get more into restrictive dieting with specific foods as opposed to calories. Because before it was all about like calories and carbs and like just trying to lose weight. And then when I learned about paleo, it was all about having this like perfect human diet or something like that. And um, that's really where I started to struggle with more of like a restrict and binge kind of behavior. I never developed any sort of like actual eating disorder and the binges were not that frequent. But once in a while, when I would say I'm at a party or something like, oh, it's Christmas, I'm gonna let myself eat what I want. I would end up eating so much of the things that I had been avoiding that I would get sick. So it only happened a handful of times. And I think I was aware enough that that wasn't healthy to not continue that just all the time. But it was something where I was bouncing a lot between perfectionism around my food and then 
saying like, screw it, I'm just going to eat whatever I want and, you know, give myself a stomach ache from half a tray of brownies or something like that. So that was grad school. And over time, I started to recognize that being super strict with my diet wasn't actually benefiting me in any way. I was actually gaining weight, which not that gaining weight is a problem, but you know, I didn't necessarily need to gain weight for my health. And I was doing all this restrictive dieting and it was just, it made no sense that I would be experiencing that. So eventually, um, I think a big part of what really led to a more significant change in my mindset around food, there was probably two things. One was when I became a Christian in 2012. So this was when I really started recognizing um, some of the challenges I had around self-image and trying to get my personal sense of self-worth from others and seeing that like no matter how hard I was trying to feel good about myself by how other people treated me, it was a losing battle. And I realized that there had to be something else out there that would help me see myself as valuable that wasn't related to how, you know, if I was dating somebody or if I had the right friends or if I was doing well in school or what my, my income was like, that kind of thing. So that changed. And then really starting to work with clients in the last five and a half, or I guess almost six years at this point, I started to notice these same patterns in the people I was working with where they were educated, they understood a lot about health and nutrition, they read stuff, they listened to podcasts. It's not like they were totally clueless, but a lot of their problems were coming from this all or nothing perfectionist mindset around nutrition, fitness, that kind of thing. And as I was helping my clients recover from that kind of situation, I realized in my own life that I didn't need to be as strict about what food I was eating, how I was exercising, all of that. So it's been an interesting journey over the past like 10-ish years going through like always dieting to look a certain way and then really dieting to feel like I was unhealthy and to almost like trying to think of how to explain this. It's, it was a very elitist mindset of like, oh, I'm a better person because I don't eat sugar and grains and processed foods, that kind of thing. Um, and now I'm in a place where I really eat just what I want. And I make those food choices based on how is the food going to make me feel? Um, am I going to enjoy it? Um, how's it going to support my workout? And using a combination of those different thoughts around food and exercise and all that, I've been able to create my own um, eating and exercise routine that really does help support not only my physical, but also my mental health. And now I teach other women how to do that for themselves. Um, and I think something that I've noticed really is like a make or break situation with whether or not someone's successful with finding the right approach is this concept of um, where we find our worth and our identity and how we see ourselves. Because if somebody is coming from a place where they think they need to earn their self-worth or they don't love themselves and they're trying to be someone because they think it'll bring them love, that's usually what drives a lot of this problematic behavior. So if they reframe their mindset around who they are, um, where their worth comes from, and you know, recognizing that they are more than a body, they get to this place where then they can choose food and exercise habits that really do support their best health in all areas. So that's kind of like my journey and what I do now. And I run a group program called Fed and Fearless where 
we dive into these topics and we have a system where it takes people through the process of reestablishing their identity and then learning how to eat enough, eat the right balance of foods that makes them feel great, supports whatever workout routine that they are engaging in that's appropriate for their body, and then implementing self-care habits and um, changing the way they think about themselves and their purpose so they can start to really use all that energy they were spending thinking about calories and macros and lifting routines and cardio and all that and really um, redirecting that towards the thing that they felt like they were created for their purpose. Yes, because all of that is so mentally consuming, right? Mm -hmm. And we do not need to be spending our precious time like thinking about macros, calories, and working out all of the time. So thank you so much for sharing all of that, that the whole time I was like sitting here nodding along, I could relate to so much of what you said. I'm not sure if you know, but I went to university and studied dietetics as well. I just didn't do my internship to become a dietitian. I studied holistic nutrition instead. And um, yeah, similar to you, when people ask me what I do, I'm like, oh, like, I don't know. How, how long do you have? Yeah, <laughs> 20 minutes? Yeah, exactly. And also, I love that you talked about the fact that like in that paleo space, you can, well, you experienced in your own life. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. That like you put it into words how I felt for many years. It wasn't like I was scared of sugar or all of the things, but you get into this space of just like perfectionism and you just feel better about yourself if you're not eating those things. And I always justified it in my head that that was okay because I was like, well, it's not like I'm scared of those foods. I'm not fearful of those foods, but I was still avoiding them because I felt like I was a better person if I wasn't eating them. Right. And I am really grateful that both you and I are in a place where we can eat those foods without the guilt and the shame and all of the other negative emotions that come with it. So why don't we talk more about that perfectionism? Um, I think a lot of it, like you said, comes up when we are identifying ourselves as, you know, the fit person or the healthy person. And you and I were also talking about the fact that you and I both work with a lot of women that deal with HA, so hypothalamic amenorrhea. And those like clinging to identities such as that really plays a role in HA. Yeah, definitely. And hypothalamic amenorrhea is a very common, but certainly not the only way that that manifests. Um, it's just one that I'm sure you see a lot with the women that you've talked to, worked with. And it's one that I see very frequently in the work that I do as well, since um, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, getting a menstrual cycle is one of the primary indicators that our body feels safe and feels nourished. And that's not the only thing, but if somebody loses their period due to dieting, over-exercising, um, stress, that kind of thing, it's because the body doesn't feel safe. So I just want to make sure women know that there's other reasons why you might not be getting a period, but if you can 
uh, connect losing the period with any sort of weight loss, dieting behavior, that kind of thing, then it's very likely that it is an HA issue. Um, and a lot of the women that I work with who are dealing with hypothalamic amenorrhea, this, I don't want to say the sad part, the challenging thing that I really think is like a fork in the road as to whether or not somebody eventually does heal from HA or not is whether that person's willing to really redefine who they are and and um, really become almost a new person in their journey to recovering their period. Because there's a lot of women that I talk to who they, they just don't want to give things up. They don't want to give up their six-day-a-week CrossFit routine. They don't want to give up their, um, you know, their beach body container diet or whatever, you know, the things that are set up where they're eating 1200 calories a day or they're training, you know, every single day. And then their day off, they're still doing like hot yoga or something. And they call that their rest day. So there's things where that's, they've started to identify as someone who does those things. And they're really, really afraid to let go of that because they don't know who they are outside of those behaviors. And that again, it's that fork in the road where the women that I work with, they have to decide that they are going to really dig into who they are and um, why they're engaging in those behaviors and what's the value and why are they making those choices and you know what are they trying to prove with their workout routine or you know wh- why is it that they're so terrified of gaining weight? What is the um, what is that identity? in fitness or in health and health is in quotes, obviously if somebody's under eating over training, that's not really health. Um, but why is it that they're so attached to that, that they're not willing to let it go? So again, it, it can get really deep as I'm sure, you know, where it's not just about eating more exercising less. It's also about reframing your expectations around like what, what is health and why, why do the things that you're doing? What's your goal? Um, are you doing things to actually support yourself and to take care of yourself? Or are you trying to be someone that impresses people by how she looks or trying to, you know, be the, the fitness Instagram model or whatever the, whatever the, um, the motivation is, that's just going to be such a big part of it where people are actually thinking about why, why am I eating this way? Why am I exercising this way? So HA is something that can definitely develop from perfectionism, but I didn't have HA. I know I tend towards just generally irregular cycles if I get stressed or if I'm under eating or um, over-exercising. But for me, a lot of the symptoms that came up was fatigue and blood sugar imbalances and um, digestive distress and um, just overall like not feeling like I could relax because I was always trying to think about like, what should I be doing? What's right? What's wrong? Um, and even getting into a nutrition degree and becoming a nutrition professional, it's like you add that extra layer of like, now I have to be perfect for other people because if I'm not, it'll damage my career. So I think um, there's lots of different ways symptomatically that perfectionism can show up. But the thing that I really have recognized in my own life, two different outcomes of perfectionism. One that a lot of um, people with HA will experience is that they're so attached to their diet and lifestyle routine that's actually causing harm that they don't resolve that problem because they can't see how exercising three times a week could be good enough or how eating 2,200 calories or 2,500 calories, how that could possibly be healthy. So they stick to this um, arbitrary definition of health and that's their perfectionism 
uh, manifesting as just over overly being rigid with their routine. The other side of perfectionism, which I think people don't tend to recognize, is uh, essentially paralysis, like analysis paralysis. So they want to do it perfectly or they don't do it at all. And so because there's a lot of information out there on the internet, there's lots of different opinions, there's um, maybe they've tried stuff that's either worked or hasn't worked, they get to this place where they're so confused and unsure and they don't trust themselves and they're afraid to do something wrong, that they end up doing nothing. And then they're not taking care of their bodies. They're not exercising at all because they, they just don't know what to do. Or they, they eat um, foods that don't make them feel good because they feel like, well, if I can't be, a, I can't be on this perfect paleo diet, so I might as well not do anything. So that's kind of the, the dark, the other dark side of perfectionism is that all or nothing mindset of, oh, well, I can't do it perfectly, so I might as well not do it at all. So that's the two ways that I see perfectionism showing up in a lot of women's lives around food and fitness. Either they're hyper-focused, overly obsessed, really rigid with their their food and their fitness routine to the point where it's actually causing harm, or they say, screw it, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to eat whatever is available and I'm not going to exercise. And that ends up usually not working super well for people in the long term either. Um, so I know people think perfectionism is like a great way to stick to your goals or to stick to your habits, but it's actually completely counterproductive. And a lot of what I do with my coaching clients is helping them see the value of um, doing enough to be successful and then not doing more than that. So even with something like exercise, recognizing that, hey, maybe two to three days a week at the gym gets you your best results and doing more than that isn't even necessary. So why bother doing more? Yeah. What's the value? So really being able to see, you know, what is necessary for their health and, and what does it look like to actually truly take care of themselves and not engage in behaviors just because of the way it looks to other people or the way that they think, um, you know, this is the healthy thing to do because, you know, the lady they follow on Instagram does it, but they don't know anything about her health or what her, you know, what her lifestyle is like, that kind of thing. So I just like women to get to a place where they can really take care of themselves, that they know what, what their goals are, why it's important to achieve a certain goal, what their values are, um, how their health goals actually interact with other goals that they have, like their career, their relationships, starting a family, that kind of thing, and getting to a place where they actually can make aligned choices for themselves that are not rooted in perfectionism, but they're rooted in the desire to care for their bodies. So I know that was a little rambly, but... <laughs> I love rambles. I loved everything that you said, and I think it brought up so many other great things places for you and I to go from here. And one of those things that I want to dive into a little bit more because I could think of a lot of people in my life that have that like black or white thinking, right? Like it's either I have to be super, super perfect or I'm not doing this at all. And I mean, even for me, I've definitely seen that show up in my life over the past years, you know, the, in my past. So how would someone like that, that is dealing with perfectionism, whether it's like the, I'm always perfect or the black and white thinking, how can 
we guide these women to finding like a rhythm within their life that actually works for them. Like you said, you know, you're still eating well and nourishing your body in a way that works for you. And you're still moving your body in a loving way, but not to these extremes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of different directions we could go in that. I'm trying to think what would be the most um, helpful as a starting point. Um, a lot of times when I'm thinking about behavior and habits and setting up a, like a routine, because with routines, I mean, there's pros and cons, right? Like, like I have a morning routine that I typically do where I'm doing some journaling. I read my Bible. I have my either coffee or tea or whatever I'm drinking that morning. And I know that that's a routine that sets me up for a better day emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Like it's a good thing. There's no downside to it. And it really does actually show benefit. So when we talk about routines, we're not saying that you should not have any routine and every day you should just wake up and do whatever you feel like. And, you know, it's because a lot of times, you know, just to get things done and to accomplish our goals and dreams, we have to have some level of plan and, and routine and that kind of thing. So we're not knocking routines, but what I like to think about with a routine, whether that's your food choices, your exercise choices, your sleep habits, stress management, anything like that is really getting to the root of why somebody would be doing something. So when I mentioned my morning journaling routine, I don't do it every single day because stuff happens. Like I didn't do it today because we had a house inspector come at, he was supposed to come at eight. He came at seven 50. I was like still in my pajamas and I was like, Oh, wasn't ready for that. Okay. Um, and so because there was people in my house, I just didn't feel like I could get into the zone and do my journaling. So I just like skipped it. And so on the days that I can do it, I know the reason I do it is because I have a better, um, I just feel more grounded. I feel like I can um, make better decisions. I can serve my clients at a higher level. Like there's just a lot of benefits that come from doing that morning routine as often as I can. You can see that there's some flexibility with it. Um, if I miss a day, not a big deal. I don't want a missed day to turn into a missed month because you know then I'm not at my best. I'm not um, experiencing my best mental and emotional health. But I also know if I have to miss a day, it's not a big deal because the the habit is really the benefit comes from doing it over the long term on a regular basis and not having every single day have that check mark. Now, that's a positive habit and that's something that I recognize the value of. I know why I do it and I know what the benefits are and I know if I miss a day it's not a big deal, but I'd rather not miss multiple days in a row if I can avoid it. If we look at something like exercise because that's kind of a more simple example, there's a lot of women out there whose routine is to go to the gym almost every single day, maybe every single day during the week. Let's even just say six days a week. The question I want to ask somebody who's exercising six days a week, like going to the gym, working out hard is why, why are they doing that? Because for a lot of women, training that frequently is not necessary. They don't need to do that for the health results they're looking for. Um, they don't need to do that to achieve any fitness goals that they have, like strength goals, that kind of thing, six days a week is not required. So if we know that there's no, unless they're like a professional athlete, like we're not talking about people whose entire career is centered around their, their athletic capabilities, because that's a different type of person. If we're just thinking about the average woman who has a job, has a family, that kind of thing, 
going to the gym six days a week probably doesn't have any advantage from a health perspective. So then the question is, then why go six days a week? And you'll get answers like, oh, well, it's because it's the only way I can de-stress. When somebody tells me that, my question is, why is exercise the only option that that person has for de-stressing? Because God forbid they injure themselves, they have to move and they have to like, you know, be in transition where they don't have access to a gym. Then what are they doing for stress relief? It's it should be something where exercise can help with stress, but then there's other there's other activities and other options for stress relief that that person can rotate between. Um, a lot of women, the reason they go to the gym six days a week would be because that's just what they believe is required or healthy. Um, so again, if we if we explain to them that that's not what's required for health, then there's no reason to be going six days a week. Um, and then you get into some women who are worried if they don't go six days a week that they're going to gain weight and that they need to burn the calories because that's how they're going to maintain their weight. And then, you know, that's where you're getting down to some of the why. The why is because, well, I'm afraid if I don't exercise, I'm going to gain weight. Um, and we had said before, gaining weight a lot of times is not a bad thing for a lot of women. And it's certainly not something that should drive 100% of a person's decisions, right? So if that's the reason that they're afraid to stop working out so much, then we have to think about, okay, well, is training six days a week really necessary for that goal? And is it actually benefiting you to do it that frequently? Um, and then the other side of the why is what are, what are they giving up to pursue that, that perfectionism and that habit? So with training, if you have a perfectionism type approach to six days a week of, of exercise and you always go after work, it's like your thing that you do every single day, what happens if somebody wants to go out on a date with you after work? Or what happens if it's a friend's birthday party and they have their dinner right after work? The perfectionist person says, well, I can't go because that's when I go to the gym. The flexible non-perfectionist person says, awesome, I've already done the gym five days this week. I don't need a sixth day. I'm going to go out with my friends and have a good time or I'm going to go on that date. So really getting down to why the behavior can be really helpful. Um, it's something that I think a lot of women don't ask themselves enough why they're doing something or what the value is or how it's benefiting them. And I think even with something like exercise, a lot of times it takes a letting go of that habit to really see that there's no negative consequence. I know I used to train probably five, six days a week. And I always thought like, oh, that's just what fit people do. And now I train two to three days a week. And I'm like, I'm just as fit doing two to three days a week, like nothing happened. And so it's nice to know that I don't have to be that level of intense with my exercise to get the results that I want to have. And again, you're thinking about what are the trade-offs since I don't go to the gym, usually more than three days a week, I can walk my dog. I can hang out with my husband. I can read a book. I can take a nap. Like there's other things I can do at that time that are just as valuable, if not more valuable compared to what I would be getting from going to the gym. So whenever somebody's dealing with all or nothing or like super rigid thinking about their routine, I always want to just get very, very clear about what is the value of choosing that routine and sticking to that routine. Is that actually true value? Like, are we a hundred percent confident that that, that six day a week routine is what's helping them reach their health goal or maybe cutting back would actually improve 
their results or at least maintain their results and there would be no change. So challenging beliefs around what's necessary, what's beneficial, and really just having that sense of clarity around what's helping and what's not. Because there are people out there who, as an example, like they really can't have gluten. They have to be gluten-free. Maybe they have celiac, maybe they have an autoimmune disease and they get really bad symptoms when they have gluten. For that person, gluten-free is really important. We know why they're doing it and it's valuable and it's totally fine. It's healthy. For another person like myself, five years ago, 10 years ago, I was gluten-free because I was like, gluten's poison. It's going to kill everybody. Don't ever touch gluten. And now I realize that that's not accurate. I don't, I don't have gluten every single day because I do get a little bit of digestive upset if I have a lot of it. But I know that if I have a little bit here and there, if I have some bread at a restaurant, that kind of thing, my body does just fine with it. And so I realize, okay, like maybe I'll do gluten-free pasta at home because wheat pasta gives me a stomach ache. But if I'm out at a restaurant and I want to have something that has gluten in it, or if I want to have a little bit of bread, I know my body will be fine. And I don't have to be rigid around that, that rule. So everybody's different. Everybody has a different health and body, different um, conditions that they're managing. And at the end of the day, I just want anybody that I work with or anybody that's in my community online, I want them to be super, super clear why they're engaging in certain behaviors, what the value is. They know for sure that it's benefiting them and they're not just doing it to maintain a certain image or to, um, you know, feed into that identity of like, I'm the fit one or I'm the healthy one. So, um, and this can really apply to so many areas of our lives, like always asking, why am I doing something? Because I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I feel like so many women don't, um, they just don't ask questions about what they're doing or why they're making the choices that they're making. And they just go on autopilot or they just go, oh, well, that's how my mom approached food or that's, you know, how my friends approach their exercise. And they don't take any time to really think, how is this actually valuing my life, my body? And is this even appropriate for me? So that's, I'd say, really one of the best places to start. And then down the road, it's really just starting to learn the difference between, um, maintaining healthy habits, self-integrity, doing the things that you know are good for you that, you know, I don't always feel like going to the gym. Sometimes I don't want to go, but I realize if I go at least twice a week, that's when I feel my best. And so those habits are ones that I stick to most of the time. And then there's times where I skip the gym for a week because I'm sick or I'm on a vacation or something like that. And so it's having that um, flexibility around your goals that allows you to be consistent with taking care of yourself and also seeing the results you want to see in your health. Yes. Okay. So I cannot agree with you more about how important it is to ask ourselves why. 100%. Yes. So one thing that I for sure want to ask you and get into before the episode is over is so many women that are having to cut back on their exercise due to health issues or health goals. Like if a woman is trying to recover her period, we obviously know that she can't or, you know, it would be beneficial for her if she wasn't going to the gym like six days a week. Some women have to completely eliminate exercise to get their periods back. So if they are clinging to an identity of being 
that fit girl or that girl that like the CrossFit girl, whatever. We have all of these different like masks for ourselves. Right. And a lot of the times, like it might not even be fear in regards to like gaining weight. It's just like how you said at the beginning of this episode is women don't know who they are without like going to the gym six days a week or whatever. And I have my own opinions on like what they can do to find who they truly are. But I would love for you to talk about this because I know this is an area that you are really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, another topic that could go in so many directions and in the interest of time, I'll pick one. <laughs> I'm sure you've noticed I like to talk, so I will I try to I love that you talk, though. Like, it's way, oh. it makes the best podcast, right? Awesome. Well, I'm glad you appreciate it. Sometimes I'll be on these interviews and be like, I should probably give them a chance to say something. No, but you're anyway, um, so when it comes to identity, there's one thing that I think can be a universal tactic. Um, I... I take a faith-based approach to the work that I do with my online program, the Fed and Fearless program, but I do work with non-Christian private clients as well. And something that I've noticed can be a really powerful question to ask if somebody is struggling with identity and putting their identity in something like their fitness level, their the food that they eat, like you know, just as an example, paleo or veganism, like somebody will say, I'm a vegan and that's an identity statement or I'm paleo and that's an identity statement. Versus if you say I eat plant-based food or I eat paleo diet, that's not an identity. That's just a habit, right? So if you're finding yourself putting your identity in things that are not who you are, but it's like, like almost societal constructs or even relationships. Like I think a lot of women will say, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. Like, and that's fine. Like it's okay to identify as a wife or a mother, but it's not the only thing that you are. So the question that I always like my clients to ask to really start to dig into this is who would I be if that was taken away from me? So the the example of I'm a CrossFitter, what happens if you tore your rotator cuff and you had to take it? two months off of CrossFit to get healed, then who are you? Who's your, like, what's your identity if that CrossFit was suddenly not an option for you anymore? Or, you know, if you're a wife and, you know, I don't think that this is, although I guess divorce is common. I was going to say, this isn't something people should be afraid of, but if something happened to your husband, divorce, death, like something tragic in that situation, who are you if you're not a wife? Right? So, and I have to ask myself this question all the time in business because a lot of times it's really tempting to, especially as a person with a personal brand business, as I'm sure you know, it's really tempting to start putting my identity in my business or how much money the business is bringing in or like how many likes I get on a post on Instagram or like all the things, all the metrics that you can measure success through. I always have to step back and say, what would, or who would I be if my business just like fell off the face of the earth tomorrow and I never had another new client. Um, And it can be really tough because when you're really passionate about something or if something is a big part of your life, like the style of exercise that you do or or your career or your relationships, 
it is a little scary to think about like who you would be if all of a sudden that was taken from you. And again, this is worst case scenario thinking. I don't think my business is just going like, to vaporize tomorrow. And I'm pretty confident that my husband and I have a good relationship. So I don't think I won't be a wife tomorrow. Like I don't expect that stuff to change anytime soon. Um, but I think it's really important to just start to get down to like, who are you if you were homeless on the street and you had no job, no relationship, no gym, like you had to eat whatever food was available to you, who would you be at that level? Um, because at the end of the day, if you, if you don't know who you are beyond I'm a CrossFitter who's also paleo or I'm a yogi who's a vegan, like if that's the only thing that you can identify yourself as, I really believe that you're missing out on the depth of of experience that life can provide. Um, and just from a faith-based perspective, I don't think we were created to identify as what diet we're following or as what our exercise routine looks like, or even as what our relationships are. And um, honestly, I think a lot of times when we identify ourselves as one of those things, it makes it so much harder to make changes or to make adjustments or to experiment or to you know, cause when we experiment, there's a chance of failure, right? Like if you try a new way of exercising, you don't know for sure if that's going to work for you, but it's a test. And if it succeeds, great. If it fails, it's a lesson you learn, you change. Same thing happens with diet changes. Um, but if you identify as I'm a CrossFitter and then you get a diagnosis from a doctor that basically is like, you can't do CrossFit anymore because you're going to like blow out your shoulder if you keep doing it then it's like, well, who am I now? Like, what do I even do? And then you, you almost like get into this like free fall situation of now I don't even know who I am if I can't do this. So, um, not putting your identity in those external things and really figuring out who you are when everything's stripped away, then if things do change or if you need to adjust, or if you need to play around with some different approaches, it's not this like, life shattering identity crushing type of experience. It's I'm just learning. I'm playing around with some stuff. I'm trying new things and I'm experimenting to see if I can figure out what works best for me and what works best for you now might be different in 10 years, 20 years, one year, you know, things change. Um, life, life is fluid and flexible and the less rigid we are about, our habits and, um, you know, our food choices, our exercise routine, all that, the less angst and stress and anxiety we're going to have when life does change because, again, our identity is stable in who we are at the core and our habits are really just there to support our best life and they can change as our life changes. I always love that question because, like I said, it's it's a little morbid sometimes depending on what you're imagining to be taken away from you, but it really does help you see when things that are not permanent or are not guaranteed when you're putting your identity in those things, um, it does put you at a risk for really struggling. And I don't want my clients or my listeners to ever struggle um, other than just the struggle that is common to all people as we grow through life. So I don't want necessary struggle that comes from um, overly over-attachment to, I, I call them false identities, but mm-hmm. the kind of identities that so many women fall into 
Yeah, I loved your answer. And honestly, I think when it comes to that, you know, women listening to us today and them thinking, okay, how can I approach these things now? It really does come down to a lot of like the wording around things instead of saying I am a CrossFitter or I am a yogi. I enjoy CrossFit. I enjoy yoga, you know, things like that. I know for me personally, as you said, you and I were both kind of in that paleo space, but I was very, very, very careful that I never, ever once called myself I am paleo, you know, because just this winter I started adding grains back into my diet. And I mean, I've ate dairy and, you know, peanuts and all the things all like throughout the whole time. But I started adding grains back into my diet. And for me, it wasn't like I was losing a part of who I was because I never identified as someone. It was just like you were saying, you're experimenting. And when we can like change and experiment with things, that's really when we can get to know ourselves even better. And that's a beautiful thing of life, right? Getting to know Mm -hmm. ourselves. I love that. So unfortunately, I honestly could talk to you for another hour at least, but we are coming to the end of the episode. And I do have a question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I, I would say because the word unbreakable is kind of an interesting word. I think all humans can get broken, but we're all able to be restored as well. So in my mind, it's not that you're never breaking. It's that you're always in a process of restoration. Um, from a faith-based perspective, I believe that Jesus is the source of that restoration, but even just like a universal perspective, um, I don't look at failure or loss permanent. Um, there's always lessons to be learned from mistakes or things that don't go the way we want them to, or even tragedy. And as long as we're always growing and um, becoming the highest version of ourselves, the the version that we were created for, then even the, the concept of being broken, it's not broken. It's just, you go through challenges, you go through struggles and you come out stronger uh, on the other side. So knowing that we're always in a process of restoration and becoming our highest selves. And in the Bible, it says we're going from glory to glory. It's like, you don't even have to identify as being broken because you know, it's like, Hey, even if I mess up, it doesn't matter because it's just part of my journey to becoming um, the person I was created to be. So that's what in my mind being unbreakable looks like. That is beautiful. Definitely. And thank you for pulling that verse. That is, that's perfect for the question, honestly. Thank you. Um, And Laura, like I said, I could just keep chatting with you. Unfortunately, we have to wrap this up, but where can everyone find you? I will include everything in the show notes, but I know people are going to be listening on their phones and want to jump on Instagram and start following you, even though I'm sure a lot of the ladies that listen to the show are already following you and loving your content. 
Yeah. So right now the two best places to find me are, um, honestly, Instagram is probably where I'm the most active as far as social media goes. And they can just search my name, Laura Schoenfeld, RD. Schoenfeld is SCH. Um, wish I had an easier name. Your name is so perfect for, <laughs> for using as a brand. Um, and then my website is lauraschoenfeldrd.com. And, um, I run right now, I have two major online programs that I run. One is Fearless program. And the other is called Get Your Period Act. So I do work with a lot of women that are dealing with hypothalamic amenorrhea. And um, the the Fed and Fearless program is faith-based. The HA program is just focused on helping people do the steps that they need to take to heal from eight day. So right. um, so those are the two main places that I can be found. And um, please feel free to DM me on Instagram if you want to share any feedback about this interview today. Awesome. Thank you so much, sweetheart. I'm sure we'll have you back on. Thanks, Meg.